Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. And what is a ruckus maker? A leader who's found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. A lot of leaders face biases that they need to overcome. Maybe people don't give you a fair shake based on your gender or sexual preference. Could be your faith. Could be the color of your skin. For today's guest, it was based on his experience. We want to put people in boxes. I don't know why. Maybe it helps make the world uh, make sense in our own minds. But the fact is, people get put in boxes. And that is something that today's guest, Joshua Stamper, faced. You see, his background as an educator was teaching art. And for some reason, all the interview committees and the district leadership wondered, could an art teacher really be a school leader? So we dive into that story and dig into how Joshua overcame that bias in today's episode. So Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And Before we jump into the show, let's take some time to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Ruckus Maker, is email a soul-crushing distraction for you? It was for me, and that's why I subscribe to SaneBox. Start your free two-week trial and get a $25 credit by visiting SaneBox.com forward slash BLBS. Have you ever wondered what kind of leader makes a good mastermind member? Well, recently I asked the leaders I serve, and here's what they said about their peers. Eileen, a deputy head in Qingzhou, China, said, Mastermind members are supportive, wise, and not afraid to kick your butt. Chris, a vice principal in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada, Courageous risk-takers and learners are how I describe my mastermind peers. And finally, Melody, a principal in Kentucky, said, Mastermind members are generous, driven, and never satisfied with the status quo. If that sounds like you, or peers that you'd like to surround yourself with, apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. All right, Ruckus Maker, I'm joined by another amazing leader. We have formed a a friendship and relationship. Uh, We're both podcasters, both leaders, and I really appreciate the work that Joshua Stamper is uh, doing. Joshua is a middle school AP in North Texas a podcaster, blogger, leadership coach, and education presenter. He's an advocate for trauma-informed strategies, restorative practices, aspiring leadership, and creating an environment that fosters innovation and growth, which yields both academic and social success. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Danny. It's an honor. Obviously, I've had you on my podcast, but it's so much fun to flip the script today. Flipping the script. So yeah, let's do that right away. And, uh, you know, this is great because I don't know how much of this you've revealed on your um, 
podcast and uh, maybe we'll get to some nuggets that will be new for folks. So you were an art teacher and you made the shift from being an art teacher to moving into administration and people had some biases around that. So what was that like making the shift and what biases did you have to overcome? Sure. So obviously there's not too many folks that I know of that have been an art teacher and a coach and an administrator. Um, I was doing kind of a dual role in that. And so when I ascended into leadership on my own campus, I realized that there was a bias that folks didn't really see me as a core teacher or someone that had a lot of knowledge in the classroom, even though um, I taught every single day and I had teaks and things that I was trying to, to hit on it in, in far, as far as instruction. But then I realized as I was going through my leadership journey that even at the district level, when I was going through interview questions, they were really honing in on instructional practices and making sure that I knew what was going on in the classroom. And even some of their questions were really focusing on the fact that I was an art teacher. And so I went through, I'll be honest, I went through the the interview process with my district the first time, and I, I actually didn't make it through. And that's when I really realized that there was a kind of a stigma there that I had to break. And so I had to figure out what I was going to do to show that I had the experience in the classroom and that I was an instructional leader and to kind of push away the idea that just because I was a fine arts teacher or an art teacher, that I didn't know what I was talking about in the classroom. So um, trying to find ways to do that. I yeah, appreciate you sharing that. And I think, you know, for Ruckus Maker listening, you know, shout out to uh, Erica. She's uh, she was a band teacher before moving into administration, and I've always had had a love for the arts. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, like if you don't advocate for yourself or tell the story, and I've I've shared this before on the podcast, other people tell that story for you. And yep. uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I once um, you know, was involved in this one church community, and uh, the pastor was like hey, you can run our kids ministry, you know, and give out graham crackers because that was his understanding of like what I do, you know, as an educator. And so uh, I won't, some, some listeners, they listen with their kids. So I won't tell you what I thought or what I might've said. <laughs> yeah. But that was really interesting. You know, people want to put you in a box. And the crazy thing about it, uh, and I wonder if you could riff on this idea too, is that yeah. here's the thing, like art, for me, I love to draw. I still, I still doodle. And I love comics. That's how I grew a love for reading. Uh, I was in band. I was in choir. Those were my favorite classes. Yeah. And that's where I really learned leadership. And the other thing too is that those are some of the most profound experiences because it was authentic. Like you had a performance yeah. coming up. So you had to know your stuff as opposed to a stupid state test, right? So yeah. this, this is about you, but uh, do you have anything to add sort of to that idea? Oh, totally. <laughs> Danny, you're you're speaking my language right now because the only reason I was in school as a kid was because of art. Like I would not have shown up at the doors if I didn't have that. And there are so many kids out there that that's what they need to even get up in the morning to go to school. And there's so many programs like that are just being cut because of budget and other things. And it's so sad because when we just pound reading and math, which are important, don't get me wrong, but those aren't the end all and be all. And for me, art was the only reason I went to, to school in addition to athletics because that, that was another passion of mine. But like those programs were real world to me. I knew that's what I wanted to do eventually in my life. And in fact, that, that did occur. I was a graphic designer at one point in my, after college. So that did come to fruition. That was my goal. And so it was hard for me to sit in a classroom and 
learn a lot of different things that I felt like I wasn't going to use. But when I had art, I knew exactly my place. I knew exactly what I was doing. It was something I was passionate about and explored at all times. When I was in math class, I was drawing. <laughs> my notebooks were full of, like you said, comics. I had you know every X-Men comic I could possibly think of, or I was going to Buddy's house to look at yes. it. I mean, I was, I was reading, right? But I get in trouble at school for reading those things. Even though data shows now, like with the visuals and with the, you know, it's higher level um, conversations within those comics. Like it's, you're getting all these different things. It's so much, it's at such a higher level than just reading a, a typical book. And so, you know, looking back now, I'm like, yeah, what up teachers? <laughs> like, I was actually reading at a higher level and you didn't even see that, right? So art for me was just all encompassing. I learned so much through that. And I felt like because of my art teacher in high school, that's the whole reason I got an ed- education was because of the impact that she made on my life that I wanted to replicate that and be that for some other kid. I don't want to stay here too long because we'll lose the ruckus maker listening. Maybe unless they're a comic book nerd. <laughs> my first job was at Fat Dutchie's comic book shop in Chica- uh, Palatine, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Yes. Sixth grade. He paid me uh, in pizza or Italian beef, $20. And then every comic that I could read. And I would count the inventory so he knew how many books or how many comics to buy in the coming yeah. months, you know. So it was, it was cool. I learned some business lessons too. So I might be dating myself, but uh, Jim Lee was drawing the X-Men back then. And uh, yeah. I don't know if that was the book that you were reading and that was the artist uh, for you. And I'm really curious, who was your favorite X-Men character? It's Duel, Gambit and Wolverine. It's like we're brothers. Those guys are so cool. <laughs> Those were my two, man. Those were, and I don't know, like, again, we're going to date ourselves, but the 90s X-Men cartoon that came out, like, I was glued to the couch. Every time that came on, I was, like, the music, I'm still listening, like, I can hear it in in my mind, but, like, I was so into it that back then, I was drawing my own comics and, like, yes, yeah. So, I could talk about that forever, but that was definitely a passion uh, growing up, was just finding, like, that, that place that, like, where I could use my imagination and creativity and I just felt like that was stifled in school. Mm. Like I didn't really get an opportunity. And that art room really allowed me to, to be that creative person. I was Spider-Man number one in a Spawn number one signed by Todd McFarlane. Yeah. And if there's a ruckus maker who's into comics, there's a Spider-Man Easter egg in the podcast. I don't know if you ever hear it, uh, but it's there for you. So I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> All right, let's, let's bring this That's back awesome. to leadership sure. in you. Some folks call it soccer. Me living over in the UK and Europe, we call it football. But that was yes. that was big in your life. And uh, yes. can you tell me why uh, soccer was so important? Why moving around was so important to you? Yeah. So the kinesthetic piece is for me, and as you could probably understand, like based on what, just a few nuggets I've given so far, I wasn't very successful in school. And the reason for that, I think, was because I was required to sit for so long during, during a school day. And I was extremely active. And so anytime I was outside of school, I was running around like crazy. And, you know, the pitch or, you know, the soccer field, that allowed me to get that energy out. But it taught me so much more in regards to like team building, which I use today. My first leadership experience was on a soccer team. I got to be a captain at a young age and really tried to lead through that experience. And the coach, of course, gave me that opportunity and really built into me as far as what those leadership attributes were. And because of that, you know, even in college, I got to be a captain on my soccer team my senior year. 
And that was really the time where I was like, I want to pursue leadership further. I don't know what that looks like later in life, but I, I really enjoy the impact that I'm making. And so soccer for me was all those things combined um, that now as an adult and as a leader on a school, I still try and use those, those things. So like kinesthetic movement, you know, how can we have that occur in the classroom so we don't have kids bouncing off the walls, getting in trouble and getting kicked out of class? How do we, you know, for me as a leader, what team building activities can we do as a staff so that we're all on the same page moving forward? So what are, you know, those same concepts that I, that I learned as a kid, I'm still utilizing today as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been known uh, during admin meetings uh, to stand up and just be there in the back of the mm-hmm. room because like I just get my mind wanders. I get bored. I'll fall asleep like yeah. I really will. Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. But there's been some classes that I've observed. One, they, some of them were kind of boring, to tell you the truth. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I'd, I'd be falling asleep at my computer taking notes. And so if I didn't yeah. stand up and start moving, because it's a person just talk, talk, talk. Oh, it's mm-hmm. so bad. But how, do, how does that relate to maybe how you were as a teacher or now as a, a, a building leader, potentially like with how you set up classes or like furniture and, and these kind of things? What, yeah. What's some creative stuff that you're doing there? Well, as a teacher, it was great because as an art teacher, you can do a lot of different things with kinesthetic. I mean, you're, if you're being still, then you're not doing it right. So for that, that was easy as, as a teacher because I, I would love to get out of the classroom too. Any opportunity to get out in nature and, and get my kids to walk and, and you know, do different things where it required them to get up. Um, we, did, we used to do like classroom projects too, where they would have to like collaborate together to create a piece. And so that would require us to like move the furniture and, you know, have a big canvas in the middle of the classroom and they would paint and do different things. So my kids, sometimes they'd be like, ah, oh, they're grown when I would ask them to do something, but they also knew like they were going to get up and move and, and be active. And honestly, at the end of that class period, all of them were like excited and pumped up and we got a really good result because of that. Now as an administrator, I'm just like you, if I'm sitting there for a long period of time, I'm falling asleep. I mean, it's just like church. Like my wife gives me the elbow Uh-oh. and I have to wake up <laughs> right in the rib cage. Um, so it's the same thing as an administrator when I'm doing an observation. If I'm falling asleep, then that's an indicator that my kids are doing the exact same thing. And so there, ne- there needs to be something that changes. And so that's when I have the wonderful opportunity to provide that feedback to the teacher to say, what else can we do to get some movement, to get some energy? And you know, I'll go right into data in regards to that too, as far as you know, how the brain works. If we are still, our brain is not activated. It's when we get up and we move around. That's when that's occurring. So, you know, Furniture, like you, you brought up, there's so much furniture out there. It costs an arm and a leg to purchase it, but there's furniture out there that allows those things um, for kids to move and to, to be active. There's, we have like these balancing boards that we have for kids, um, especially with those who have ADHD. Um, there's those rubber bands that you can stick on chairs so they can move their feet and kind of get that um, pushback. Uh, a lot of kids have sensory needs too. So it's kind of a dual thing. They get the sensory need, but they also get the kinesthetic movement for them. There's so many... F- pieces out there where um, kids can like pedal or uh, move their legs, um, swinging back and forth. There's standing desks. We have a lot of standing desks at our campus now that we're purchasing. So there's just a lot of opportunity for kids. Um, One, it it promotes their their movement, but then also the collaboration piece. You know, we're trying to find furniture that has wheels and things on it so that the kids can be independent, but then also move it to, to create a group and try and get those, you know, those soft skills to be able to again, create as a group versus create by themselves. Yeah, we'll, we'll be moving. I can't reveal where yet uh, to a more uh, long-term uh, place. 
So we won't be in Glasgow here starting this summer, but I've been eyeing some standing desks because I think that's that's something that I would uh, really enjoy as well. So I'm right with you. Yeah, I have a standing desk. Do you? Do you? <laughs> yeah. In my office, I have a standing desk. Is there, did you build it? Was it a specific brand? No, man. It's just, um, it literally is an extension to the desk. So it's a wooden desk, okay. but the extension is, it's got a little lever on it and it can slide up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can sit and still work if I really want to, which rarely happens. It's usually if like I have a parent in my, <laughs> or a, a teacher in my office. But if I'm working independently in my office, it is up. And I I have a balancing board in my office too for when I need to like get some movement. So I, I don't just have it for my kids. I have it for, in my office too. So I actually don't know what that is. And so maybe the listener doesn't know either. Can you explain? Sure. I'm hearing you say balancing board. Is that right? Yeah. So it's like, it looks like a kind of like a warped skateboard. So it's kind of a, a slight U shape. It's got two little platforms on each end for your feet, and then it just balances. So there's no wheels or anything like a skateboard, but it just kind of balances. So it gives you that movement and you can just stand on it and your your legs are obviously like naturally, your muscles are being used because you have to balance. <laughs> but if you want it to rock and, and whatnot, you can do that too. And it um, it can swivel a little bit. So it's just to kind of get that if you're antsy and you, you need that extra additional movement, it allows you to do that without it really affecting your work. Mm. It's kind of mindless, gotcha. <laughs> really. In a quick riff on uh, it costing an arm and a leg, that's true, right? That's a fact. You can't, you know, every price is negotiable. I hope, I hope the listener understands that. But with that being said, that's a really good investment because if you believe what the science shows and what our lived experiences are, that we are more active uh, and, and engaged when we're moving around, then therefore student success will be impacted. That's a really worthy investment. Quick story. So I'm teaching uh, vocabulary, sixth grade, right? It's an inclusive class. So we have learners of all different types uh, within the class. And vocabulary can be hard, right? Uh, we're teaching some difficult words that are new to the kids. And some kids would do really well, some wouldn't. And of course, uh, for the special ed kids, we had accommodations. So Joshua, listen to this. When I started uh, adding kinesthetic to the way I taught vocabulary, so we'd have a new word and we would act out what it meant. And we'd have really a lot of fun with it, right? I started to see that the special ed students were really scoring uh, much higher. And as a little bit experiment, we started to pull back a bit the accommodations just to see what would happen. And we were going to give the give over the quizzes, you know, if if they weren't doing well. But here's the thing: they all started acing the quizzes without accommodations. Are you hearing me? Right. So yeah. I'm not saying ignore an IEP. That's wrong, right? You gotta sure. you gotta follow the law and give uh, kids a, a fighting chance. But there was a really interesting thing that happened when we started moving around, acting out the vocab words, and all of a sudden, kids just knew what words meant because it was in their body. And in their brains. Yep. Yeah. So true. It's such, it, it makes such an impact. And I, I don't think folks really understand that. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's pause here for just a second uh, for a message from our sponsors. And when we get back, I want to hear about why you started your podcast. And maybe we'll have some time to jump into restorative practices as well. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. 
Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizedBinder.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by SaneBox. Inbox Zero, that's a thing of the past. Ruckus Maker, you're so inundated with email that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. That's where SaneBox comes in. Think of it as a robotic Mari Kondo for your email. As messages flow in, SaneBox tidies up your inbox, leaving only the important emails and directing all the distracting stuff to your Sane Later folder. Now you know what messages to pay attention to and what stuff you can get to later on. It also has nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where I drag messages from annoying senders that I never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders, which pings me when somebody hasn't replied to a message I've sent out. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email service out there. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com forward slash BLBS today, and you'll also get a $25 credit. That's SaneBox.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back with Joshua Stamper, and we've been talking about the biases he had to overcome as an art teacher moving into school leadership and the importance of kinesthetic learning. I don't know that a ruckus maker listening would start listening in the middle of the podcast, but if you did somehow, go back, especially if you're a comic book fan, because we nerded out a bit about the X-Men <laughs> and it was totally worth it. Uh, Joshua, tell us about your, your podcast and why you started it. Yeah. So my podcast is Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast. And the whole reason I started it was because I had a program in my last district was for aspiring leadership. And we were kind of a a pilot program for the district. They didn't have anything in place at the time for aspiring leadership. And so we spent two years, just did it on the, the west side of the district. And each year we had participants and it varied as far as what they wanted to do with their leadership experience, but some it was administration, some counseling, some instructional coaches, and we just try to give them opportunities outside of the classroom. And so based on that cadre, they actually took that over, the district did, and made it district-wide, which was great. But it, for me, it took away my, one of my passions was this program that I had really spent a lot of time in. And so I was trying to figure out a way for myself to be able to work with aspiring leaders and kind of hone in on my own passion. And so I actually visited um, Todd Nisloni, the author of Kids Deserve It or co-author of Kids Deserve It. And he was actually running his Kids Deserve It podcast at the time when I got to his school. And so he's like, hey, sit down. Just I'm going to do this real quick. It was like a 15, 20 minute podcast. And I watched him and I was like, man, that's that looks fun. I wonder if I could do that for aspiring leaders. And so kind of riffed back and forth with him and saw that it was manageable. I could do it. And then just talking with some other friends, they, they were like, yeah, you should definitely do that. And so I did, I just kind of jumped on a limb. I, I'd never created a podcast before. I didn't know anything about it, but I just jumped in and started watching YouTube videos and talk with different people. And it's kind of spawned this fun passion project of mine that hopefully is helping aspiring leaders. I could relate 
a lot to what you're saying. And, you know, I think our stories are very similar in that sense. But for the ruckus maker listening, I th- those are leadership qualities, right? The, the fact that you say, huh, that looks fun. I'd like to do that. Or, hey, I could do that too, right? Yeah. Uh, sort of a meta level analysis of what's going on as well. It's, it's also representative of where we are in education today. You can be instructed on how to create a podcast and, and there would be some value there. But the reality is like all that information is out there, right? YouTube, totally. there's courses, whatever. You can get access. There's no secrets. But what separates you from everybody else is that you actually did it, right? And by right. jumping in, taking a leap, that's what leaders do. Iterating, learning from the mistakes, you get better and better and better. And actually, so on that topic, I didn't ask you this in the intro call, but I'm going to put you on the spot now. So you have the show, sure. you've shipped a number of episodes. What have you noticed about yourself and how you're changing because you're consistently putting out the content through the podcast? So changing as far as a leader or changing as a podcaster? I will let you take it however you want. Well, for one, and Danny, you probably have found this on your own end. Like when you talk to all these amazing guests and the content that you're getting as a person on the other side of the mic, you are gaining insight and knowledge through that. And so I definitely feel like as far as leader, I'm getting professional development every time I do this. And that wasn't something I even thought of. (laughs) I just assumed like I was going to get this content out to the people for them and their growth. But I feel like on my side, personally, I've, I've gotten a lot of value out of that time just as far as becoming a leader. And some of that's kind of frustrating too, because then I'm starting to see like some ideals shift a little bit and like what I want as, as a leader and some of the things that are confining me to do that. But then also like on the flip side, as far as a podcaster, I feel way more comfortable to say things um, on the podcast. I was very scripted to begin with, with questions just because so I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to like lay everything out. And, and maybe that's like a first year teacher, right? Like how you kind of script things out and then training wheels by your third year, you're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I totally know the curriculum now I'm going to kind of venture out. So yeah, now I definitely feel more confident in my voice and I don't even script anything. I just kind of go on the fly as far as my questions and kind of how the answer is dependent on how I'm going to ask my question further. So it's more of a conversation now. So yeah, definitely I've grown both as a leader and a podcaster through through this experience, for sure. You didn't say this, but I think I can uh, safely assume that, that, that you'd probably agree. Correct me if I'm wrong, but now that you've become more comfortable in these conversations and, and really, really uh, practicing radical presence, right? And being able to yeah. listen at an incredibly high level to reflect back what you hear and ask those questions to go deeper. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's transferred, right? Those skills to to your own leadership. So when you're observing or debriefing or even just catching up in the hallway, you're able to hold space, connect with people on a different level than you have been years ago. Yeah. And actually to connect to soccer also, I want to say that as an administrator, you you don't get very many opportunities with your staff through a day. Just like in soccer, like if you actually average, and I used to tell my players this, when you average the amount of time you have with the ball, it's only 90 seconds to a, a minute and a half. You're running around for 90 minutes, but you may only touch the ball for 90 seconds. So the time that you have the ball, you have to make a great impact. And it's the same for an administrator. You know, when you're out in the hallway, you may only get 30 seconds with a teacher. 
but how are you actually making a, a large impact with that small amount of time? And so, like you said, active listening is huge, even though it may only be a small chunk of time, <laughs> you have to be listening to make sure that you understand the needs of your staff um, and be able to pull those out in, in a very short amount of time so that you can then, of course, uh, make the important decisions to hopefully help them feel supported and, of course, hopefully um, works toward impacting the students too. Love it. What I'm hearing you say is just like leveraging those those moments. Uh, they're few and far between, but even mm-hmm. with 30 seconds, you could actually have great impact. Yes. We don't have a lot of time to spend on this, uh, but I am curious just to hear a little bit about why um, restorative practices are, are important to you. Uh, we've talked about it on the podcast. I'm sure you have as well. But is there anything, yeah, why is it important? And maybe do you have like an idea or something generous you can share with the ruckus maker listening uh, who may or may not want to implement it? Yeah, so early in my leadership journey, I was a dean of students over in a Title I school and we were suspending kids left and right. Congruent to that, me and my wife were going through the foster care process. And so I was learning a lot about trauma-informed practices. And so those two worlds kind of collided and I started to question a lot of what I was doing and was, I mean, the main question was, you know, is the discipline I'm providing to my students really impacting their life? Is it, is it changing who they are and changing the decisions that they're making? And I could honestly say, no, that that wasn't what I was doing was I was sending them away from the campus and into areas that were only making their lives more difficult and impacting them in a negative way. And so that's when I started to look into restorative practices and what it is, is it's allowing students to understand their choices a little bit better and reflect on that. And it's more about, again, teaching. We do so much about teaching math and reading and science and whatnot, but we don't really teach behavior. <laughs> we just assume that they know how to act. And unfortunately, a lot of our students don't know how to act socially, but then also how to reflect and to change that behavior. Their behavior is a language, really. And if we're able to understand that language, it helps us better as educators. And so my, my goal is to have our teachers, everyone that we hire, whoever's in my building to make sure that we are hitting the social emotional needs of our students, just as much as we're doing the academic, because if one is lacking, the other one can't, can't thrive. So that's, that's kind of a very small cliff note version of (laughs) a bigger, a bigger piece, but the restorative discipline piece was just to change the lives of kids because right now, the system that we have is just shipping them out into environments that are toxic. And so the school should be a safe haven for our kiddos and we should be able to um, get them to, to understand and to work through adversity better than what, what the current model is. So that's really my passion. I, I have guests that come on the Inspire podcast to talk about that. That's not the sole purpose of obviously the podcast, but um, I do every once in a while have guests that, that talk about restorative practices and then Myself and my wife on, on my website, we have blogs too on trauma-informed practices too. So just trying to get that out there to folks to, to better serve kids on the, the emotional level just as much as the academic. What message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Oh, be empathetic. <laughs> Simple and sweet, man. I mean, there's, there's so many times that I see people, adults, take things personally when it's not personal at all. And instead of trying to punish a child because they've done something wrong, how about we teach them? And we're so into traditional models as far as what punishment looks like. And it hurts my heart, 
honestly, every day. Because there's, there's educators and there's adults out there that still want to bring the paddle back. And that's, that's creating a structure of fear. Like if, if a kid doesn't do something because they're fearful, how is that going to help them in life? That's not a true reason as to why they should behave the, the correct way. So for me, it's, it's a struggle and something that hurts my heart each day because I'm trying to find a system that is, is better for the emotional stability of a child. And fear does not create that. I was Googling really quick what you're talking about because you, you mentioned the paddle. There's still 19 states, 19, that have corporal yep. punishment, which is just um, absolutely insane. Texas? Yeah. Texas is one of them. <laughs> yeah. So uh, be empathetic. I love that message. And also that taking personal piece, I'll, I'll uh, just quickly mention there's a mental model, which is really helpful. Like mental models are helpful in terms of uh, dealing with situations, solving problems and that kind of thing. And I wrote about one called Hanlon's Razor, which is awesome. It, it, this is the gist. Don't attribute to malice, right? That somebody is has it out for you, yeah. taking it personally, which mm-hmm. can uh, better be explained basically by stupidity, you know, or ignorance. Sure. Like, hey, man, yeah. I just made a mistake. Like, it wasn't, it had actually nothing to do with you. Like, I'm not trying to ruin your mm-hmm. life. So that's a really yeah. helpful thing to remember, especially when, when the stakes get high and the emotions get high as well. So, mm-hmm. all right. My favorite yep. question, the ruckus makers favorite question. They revolted when I took it off the podcast for a few episodes. <laughs> Sorry guys. All right. You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. So how would you, Joshua, build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? And Danny, I could spend like 30 minutes on this question. Um, I'm going to try and simplify as much as possible, but I think my top priority would just be to allocate enough adult positions to meet the needs of the students. And what I mean by that is kind of what we talked about already in this podcast, but for instance, like the mental health of our students and our teachers, what are we doing as a campus and what resources do we have allocated to really hone in on those? Because I don't know about you, but like in my experience, there's only been, you know, for like a thousand students, we only have like one or two counselors. To, to meet the needs of the emotional stability of that many kids, you know, or social work, right? There's so many kids that are homeless or don't have food and only have one parent at you know, working three jobs, you know, uh, additional admin, because, you know, if we're supposed to be instructional leaders, just as much as we're helping with student discipline, you know, how are we supposed to do both things? Um, as far as our teachers, they're feeling burnt out. They're ready to be done with education in general. You know, what are we, do we have a position to help them through things that are going on in their own home life that is spilling over onto the campus. You know, when you look at a business model, all those things at a business, a private business, usually are taken care of. But as far as on the educational side, we just don't have the allocation. So that would be my top priority is just to make sure that I have positions, uh, a behavior specialist, right? To do all the restorative practices, to make sure that our our teachers are um, educated in trauma-informed practices, a furniture, like we talked about, you know, all of these different things that require money and, and resources. Um, that would be my top, my top piece. Um, second probably would be just like to embed that system for social emotional learning and trauma informed and restorative practices. Um, have that so that we are building something in classes, um, taking time to actually focus on those things. And then like kind of what we talked about with the art class, like why, why is every class put in a box? Why am I going to just math class? Why am I just going to English? Why am I just going to social studies? Like, why don't we have it so that there's an interdisciplinary instruction that empowers exploration for all kids? You know, we have um, at my campus and through our district, we have this thing 
where the labs are more exploratory for kids. Well, guess what? Those kids sit there and they're like, well, I don't know what to do. Well, it's because they've been conditioned <laughs> at an early age to just wait for the answer because it's just to remember and understand part of the brain that they're using. It's not about the creativity and the exploration piece. They're not trying to find problems to solve them. So when you give them <laughs> at the secondary level, a lab like that for them to actually explore, they're a fish out of the water. They don't even know what to do. So why, why don't we, you know, because if you look at a kindergarten, when they go into the elementary school, those kids are everywhere and they're, they're tearing stuff apart because they're trying to figure out how it works and what they can do with it and build it in a new way. And then at some point we like break that out of them. <laughs> and then when they get to be young adults, they're just waiting for this platter to be stuck in front of them for them just to, to feed off of it. And so I would want to do that at an early age to just make that enriching experience all the way through for them to actually find problems and find creative solutions. Well, Josh, thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Break the mold. Like I know it's hard as a leader. The position, no matter what, is hard. You have all these confines on you. But I just would challenge anyone to challenge the, the status quo. Just because it was done before this, that, that same way doesn't mean it has to remain that way. And so, you know, if you are a ruckus maker, challenge the status quo. Figure out what's best for your campus, what's best for your teachers, what's best for your students. And even though it may not be a traditional model, <laughs> push the boundaries and try and find the best solution. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.